If you turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And uh, we are going to uh, pick up, I told you we would do that after the first of the year, and we uh, took a little diversion last week uh, under the circumstances. Uh, but I did a nine-part series uh, at the end of uh, last year on uh, the personal work of the Holy Spirit, and I told you I was going to expand on that, uh, and I'm going to do that. It's not as clearly defined as um, what we did before. I gave you a sheet telling where, where, where we're going each of the, of the nine sessions, and I don't have that plotted out as much, partly because of uh, the irregularity of my schedule the past couple of weeks, but this morning we're going to be dealing with uh, the relationship between the flesh and the spirit from Romans chapter 8, uh, verses 15 through 17. Excuse me, 5 through, this, five through 17, Romans 8, 5 through 17. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit... For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, then you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which you cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And that is God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for uh, this time together, a time uh, as your people around your word, and we pray your blessing upon it. We know that this is no light moment, but it is serious. It is solemn, it is sober, as we come together to hear from you. And so I pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would use me as your vessel, as your instrument, to communicate accurately and properly and appropriately the truth of your word to your people now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I'm sure you know, the book of Romans is a rich and wonderful book. You find in Romans the plan of salvation explained as clearly as you find it anywhere in the Bible. All the way from man's desperate need as a sinner who is lost and estranged from God to 
God's provision of a covering of righteousness through the sacrifice of His Son, to the declaration of justification, making us right with God by grace through faith, through the whole process of sanctification or spiritual growth, even to the time of glorification when we will see Him in heaven. Back in chapter 7 of this book, Paul had given us something of an autobiography. He does that occasionally in the letters that he wrote. And there are times when he specifically applies the gospel to his own life and shows how the truths that he teaches others applies to himself and his own life as well. And in Romans 7, the chapter before the one we read this morning in Romans 7, Paul is talking about his own personal struggle with sanctification. And it really is something of a personal testimony of his own life. And then he turns around and teaches about it in Romans 8 in our passage this morning. Romans 7 really is one of the places where Paul becomes the most vulnerable. You know, last Sunday I peeled the curtain back a little bit in my own life and expressed some of my own weaknesses and my own struggles, telling you some of what God was doing and what God was teaching me in my own life. And that's what Paul does in Romans chapter 7. He peels the curtain back in his own life to show his own personal struggles. For example, if you're looking in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, it's what he says of himself, For what I am doing I do not understand. For I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. And then down to verse 18 and 19. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. How vulnerable is that? You know, how real is that? There Paul is describing in his own life the daily struggle he has in the pursuit of holiness, in striving for obedience, of the struggle we all face as believers, of living as new creatures in Christ, and yet still living in this world of sin and in this flesh and in this body. How many of you find that hard? I do. And I want to encourage you this morning with the fact that Paul did too. Paul found it tremendously difficult. Now as chapter 8 opens, after he's recounted all this intense personal struggle he has with obedience, he, he reminds us that there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter how intense the struggle is doesn't matter how intense the battle is in your own heart and life. If you're in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. That's what he says in verse 1 of chapter 8. Therefore there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then in our text this morning, beginning with verse 5 and following, he goes on to say that the personal struggle that Paul himself talked about in chapter 7 
is really the intense struggle that we find on a daily basis between the flesh and the spirit. That is, our own selves, our own flesh, and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I want to point you to three things from this text about this subject this morning. And the first is we see a contrast. Paul draws a contrast between two kinds of people. Now, it's a basic, fundamental point. But the Bible teaches spiritually there are only two kinds of people in the world. There are believers and there are unbelievers. There are those who are converted and those who are not. There are those who belong to Jesus and those who do not. You are this morning in one category or the other. There is no middle ground. And Paul describes that distinction for us at the end of verse 4. We didn't read verse 4, but at the end of verse 4, when he talks about those who walk according to the flesh and those who walk according to the Spirit. And then in verse 5, he speaks of those who are according to the flesh and those who are according to the Spirit. And we've seen in an earlier sermon in this series that one of the distinguishing marks of a Christian is that a believer has the Holy Spirit present in his life. In fact, Paul says, if you look down at the end of verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, that is the Holy Spirit, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You see, you are either in Christ or you're not. And you either have the Spirit of Christ in you or you do not. And the Bible presents the Christian life exactly that way with that kind of dual focus. When you come to faith in Christ, you are literally placed in Him. The Bible is clear. It uses that terminology over and over and over again. You are in Christ. You are covered with His righteousness. And that is your merit of standing before the throne of grace. You are in Him. But the flip side is one we don't refer to as often. And that is He is in us. Christ Himself, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, lives in you and in me if indeed we trust in Jesus alone for salvation. We are in Him and He is in us. But there's a problem. And the problem is we're still here. We're still in this world. And we're still in the flesh. That is, you still are in this earthly, fleshly body with all its passions and all its desires. Even though you're a new creature in Christ and you have a new heart, you have remnants of the old nature still within you. And you must deal with it every day. You see, it's a spiritual battle that doesn't just come from an external enemy. And we're going to begin looking at that tonight. The external enemy. It's not just that, but it's also from an internal reality. 
that there is this pulling, this longing, this drawing away from our heart's desire to live fully and openly for Christ and to be what he wants us to be. I want you to notice how many times in verses 5 through 7 especially, Paul refers to the mind. The mind is so important in our pursuit of holiness, in our relationship with God. You know, Proverbs 23 tells us, as a man thinks within himself, so is he. What you think about determines who you are and what your life is like. Because what you think about reflects what is in your heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Look with me at verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh do what? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Where your mind is, what you think about, what you focus on, is so very important. And and Paul's clear here. If you want to be a spiritual person, if you want to be one who really pursues spiritual things, then you need to be a spiritual-minded person. You need to set your mind on the things of the Spirit and not set your mind on the things of the flesh. It's when you do that, it's when you allow your mind to think about spiritual things and you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, then you enjoy a wonderful sense of God's presence. You experience the tremendous sense of God's blessing and you have in your heart this earnest desire to please Him in all you do. But when you don't, when instead you set your mind, you think on the things of the flesh. Those wonderful spiritual blessings begin to dissipate. Godly people set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Ungodly people set their minds on the things of the flesh. The problem comes in when God's people don't set their minds on the things of the Spirit, but instead focus on the things of the flesh. And when they do that, they go through the very struggle Paul describes in Romans 7, the good that I would, I don't do. And I do the very evil that I hate. Why did Paul find himself as a believer in that situation? It's because he did not himself consistently set his mind on the things of the Spirit. That's what he tells us in Romans 8. He clarifies that really in another passage. If you turn with me, keep your finger in Romans chapter 8, but go over to Galatians chapter 5. Now we're going to come back to Galatians 5 and spend uh, a lot of time, a lot more time there eventually, I hope. Galatians 5. Just briefly. I'll probably come back and preach a full sermon from this later, but verses 16 and 17. Paul says this, But I say, walk by the Spirit, 
and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Why do we find ourselves like Paul? Sometimes knowing what we ought to do and having a desire to do it. But doing the exact opposite. Or why do we find ourselves sometimes knowing what we ought not to do and not wanting to do it and it end up doing it anyway? Because of this intense struggle Paul describes between the flesh and the spirit. The two are in opposition to each other, Paul says, both present in your life at the same time, opposing each other so that you may not do the things that you please. It is a struggle daily between the flesh and the spirit. So I have to ask myself sometimes, Where's my mind? Am I, am I setting my mind really on the things of, of, the, of the Spirit? Or on the things of the flesh? What do I think about the most? Do I think about spiritual things and godly things and things that really please and honor God? Or, or do I allow my mind too often to wander to things that don't please Him quite so much? Paul says that we're to walk by the Spirit, and if we do, then we won't carry out the desires of the flesh. That's first. Second, there's a reality presented. And this, I believe, is what Paul wants to make so very clear, and I'm going to be very brief on this point. And that is, the reality is that you are in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. And that's the reality. I've already referred to it. I want to expand on it just for a moment. The reality is that the Holy Spirit lives in you. If you are a believer, He dwells in you. Remember, we saw earlier, Paul talks about us being the temple of the Holy Spirit. God takes up residence in us through the Holy Spirit. And what a tremendous difference that reality, not just the reality itself, but the understanding of that reality and the application of that reality makes to our hearts and to our lives. Paul says, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. That is the reality. Not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Well, if you're not in the flesh, why do you set your mind on the things of the flesh? That's the anomaly of it, isn't it? Why do we do that? The Bible describes unbelievers as spiritually dead. Ephesians 2 tells us you were dead in trespasses and sins. But the remarkable thing is that when we're converted, God gives us new life. We are made to live. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit comes to take up residence in us and in our lives. And even though the body is dead because of sin, The Spirit is alive because of righteousness. And that's the reality that makes us different from those who are unconverted, even though we still live in this body of death that Paul calls it. 
Spirit is made alive unto God. We're able to live in a way that pleases and honors Him, a way that glorifies Him. We're able to live in obedience to Him and to His Word. Look at verse 11 briefly. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Two brief things from that one verse. One is, the if really is not a conditional sentence, but it's really stating a fact. The Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. Think about it. If I were to ask you where the most powerful, significant, historical events that ever happened, you would say it was the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And do you see what Paul is saying here? The very power of the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now I'm planning to preach another sermon down the road on the power of the Holy Spirit. And what it means to live daily with His power in your life. That's what Paul says. We have the Spirit of God's power within us. But also he, he says that even though the body is dead because of sin, and the Spirit's alive to God, we have hope even for our bodies. That at the resurrection, guess what's going to happen? The Spirit of God the same Holy Spirit, he says, who lives in you will give life to your mortal body and give you a new resurrected body. That's the reality. The Holy Spirit lives in you. The power of God by his Spirit is in you. And then third, there's an exhortation. And the exhortation really is to live out your spiritual obligation. Paul says you have an obligation, verse 12. And that obligation is not to the flesh. Your obligation is to the Spirit. Verse 12. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Verse 13. If you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then he says in verse 14, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Paul is saying that you have an obligation to live by the Spirit. You know, the, the Bible is full of if-thens. If this is true, then this other must be true. If, if, if this one thing happened, then the other must follow. We read it in Colossians 3 a moment ago. If you've been raised up with Christ, then what? Keep seeking things above where Christ is. Here Paul is saying, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Therefore, you are under obligation to live like it. Not under obligation to the flesh, to live by the flesh. You're under obligation to live by the Spirit. And to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. Oh, guess what? There's going to be more sermons on the fruit of the Spirit. When we come there, we're going to see, folks, it's not optional. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, all the rest, that's not optional for a believer. You're under obligation. 
by the Spirit of God to manifest the fruit of the Spirit if it's in your life. Notice what he says in verse 14 again. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. How do we know? How do you know? That you really are converted. How do you know that you've been born again? How do you know that the Spirit of God lives in you? Well, we, we base it on the truth of God's promise that if we believe, it is true. But it's not just an intellectual assent or a, not an intellectual understanding. It is, there must be a reality, a living reality of what is happening is true in our lives. Those who are being led by the Spirit of God, they prove themselves to be the sons of God. Now, what you understand, Paul is not saying that if you mess up, if you fail, if you fall short, if you sin, then you're not a believer. If that was true, Paul wouldn't have been a believer. When you get in that struggle, you go back and read Romans 7 again. And you see how intense the struggle was for Paul. The good that I would, I don't do. I do the very evil I don't want to do. But what marks you as a believer is this desire to be led by the Spirit of God. And I'll be very frank this morning. If you have no desire in your heart to be pleasing to Him, then whatever profession of faith you may have made is in doubt. Because if your faith is real, if indeed you have a new heart, there will be a new desire to live your life by the power of the Spirit of God, being led by Him to please and honor Him in all you do. Oh, you will fall far short. I do every day. First prayer, part of a prayer I pray at night is, Father, forgive me. My wife, I've been doing so great. It's been, it's been a struggle, folks. It's been hard. We've done so great. Until last night. And I snipped at her. She wouldn't take her medicine. I snipped at her. I missed the mark. I fell short. I sinned. But I had to tell her I was sorry and ask for her forgiveness. You see, that, that mistake, that fault, that error, that missing the mark did not point to me to the fact that I'm unconverted. But the desire to, the understanding I did wrong or the desire to do better shows that I am. Do you understand that distinction? It's because I have a desire to please Him. We know the Spirit of God lives in us. Walk by the Spirit, Paul says. Walk by the Spirit, and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. May God help us. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word.
secrets power in our lives. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who is real. Who is real in us. And I pray that all of us would learn day by day to set our minds more and more on the things of the Spirit and not on the things of the flesh. And that you would indeed build us into a body of believers who truly desire to be led by the Spirit of God. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.